you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So Second Peter chapter 3, if you have that open. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Nathan, for reading the word so helpfully. Um, good morning. My name is Mike. It's my joy to serve as pastor here at City on Hill, Brisbane. Um, so glad that you could join us here this morning. Um, would love to, to get to know you more. i uh, love you to help connect in. Um, these guys were chatting about GC. What's GC? That's a jargon word. GC stands for Gospel Community. Uh, they're communities that we have kind of scattered around the city. They're kind of the best way of getting connected. I'd love to, to, to talk to you more about getting plugged in. Hey, just a couple of quick things before we start. Um, Firstly, just some kind of local governance kind of things. Um, we've got, we're in the process at the moment of establishing a church council, which is really exciting. We've had, um, we've had three people apply for that so far, looking to kind of um, set that up this year, so, so more info coming. Um, the other thing, we're looking for people to serve across the kind of movement of churches, and we've had people apply for roles uh, in our 
um, our kind of subcommittees, and there's also the board as well. People can apply. People in Brisbane can apply for our City on a Hill Australia board. You don't have to be in Melbourne uh, to apply for the board. Just want to make that clear. There's been a few few questions about that. Um, and we're also looking uh, to kind of establish or re-establish a, a building task force to kind of think about our spaces, our midweek spaces, and our uh, kind of Sunday services. Um, this is great, serving a purpose. Uh, it's not perfect, uh, as, as you might appreciate as well, thinking about um, just the kind of medium, long-term needs. So love your prayers for that. If you're interested in those sort of things, come chat to me or chat to Stephen as well. Lastly, um, not governance, but exciting news um, this week. Uh, as Peter prayed, we've had a bit of a baby boom. We've had four boys born at church last month. Uh, please make welcome uh, on the screen uh, the latest one, Abel Frank McMurray. And there's, there's, there's Papa Grant, Elder Grant, down the, in the front there. Um, so, so give him a, um, a high five after church. Um, I'm going to pray. Uh, I'm going to give thanks to God uh, for Abel. I'm going to give thanks to God for for his word and pray for us uh, right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are good. And we thank you that, as Nathan reminded us, that you are our Father. uh, And we have been graciously adopted and welcomed into your eternal forever family. We praise you for that. Uh, We we pray that as our Father, you would speak to us uh, right now through your word. uh, Soften our hearts and make us more like Jesus. Help us to see the truths and the eternal realities that your word points us towards. And we praise you for the gift of life. We praise you for little Abel. Uh, We pray that his trust would always be in the Lord. And I pray that in these tender days, weeks, and months, that you would keep him safe, and may he be a joy and a blessing to many. And I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. All of God's people said, amen. Amen. Question for you guys. What are you waiting for? What are you hanging out for? What are you longing for right now? What's that thing that sort of gets you up out of bed and not the kind of 4.30 Brisbane sunrise? What's the thing that gets you up out of bed that enables you to kind of get through those hard days of work or uh, the, 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 the long late nights of study? Uh, maybe if you're at home, uh, what feels like Groundhog Day with young Children, you, know, you sort of feel like you're on a treadmill, you've kind of worked hard all day and you haven't actually gone anywhere. What's, what is that? You know, maybe you're hanging out for Christmas, um, just a few weeks now till, till Christmas, seeing the end of the year, like I'm, I'm hanging out for 2023 to kind of flick over in the calendar. Maybe it's a, an upcoming job promotion, a, a kind of pay review is coming, you know, it's been a hard year financially for our economy. Uh, maybe it's you know, end of exams, end of your degree. Is it that the hope that perhaps the housing bubble will, will burst and somehow you'll be able to crack into it when interest rates drop in the future? Is that what you're hanging out for? Is that maybe finally kind of finishing up your career and having more time in retirement? Maybe it's just the season four of whatever you're watching on Netflix to come up. What is it that you're hanging out? Well, for me, uh, like if I'm honest, I'm looking forward to a holiday, less than two weeks' time, going up the coast, sunny coast. It's been a, been a big year, uh, been, a, been a hard year for, for us in lots of ways. I'm looking forward to just switching off for, for a week and um, just hanging out on the beach. Should be fun. Um, but however, while holidays and things like this, they're, they're good and helpful and we should receive them with thanksgiving. Uh, there's something that's far more significant that we should be waiting for that we should be longing for. Uh, It's called the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord. Now, there's lots of myths, um, kind of disinformation going on around there that's been kind of really circulated for millennia. This morning, we're going to look at the Day of the Lord. We're going to see who is coming, 
Why are they coming? When are they coming? And why it's a big deal for us. In 2 Peter, uh, the the letter that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks, uh, we saw last week that there's been false teachers. We see in in chapter 2, verse 1, open up your Bible if you've got it there, uh, that they've been secretly bringing in destructive heresies. A heresy is when you deviate away from the true teaching of Jesus, even to the point where they've been denying Jesus, the one who bought them. Uh, We saw that not only were were their teachings false, uh, but their character uh, that God has called them to and God called us as the people of God to uh, wasn't living up to the standard that he's called us to. They've been taking advantage of people. They've been greedy. They've been lacking accountability and they've been intoxicated with their own sin. Uh, but Peter and, and the rest of, of the Bible, of Scripture, indeed warns us that these false teachers, they're not just this thing of the past, uh, this thing in Back in Peter's day, you know, there were these heretics back in the early church. No, no. Uh, false teachers are, are going to keep coming up in every generation. In fact, wherever the gospel has been preached, a false gospel has tried to compete with it. Throughout history, that has always been sadly the case. And now this warning, it's not for people of kind of other religions, uh, kind of other views outside there. It's, it's not, Peter's not speaking to kind of this secularist, secularist, anti-religion, kind of woke culture, anything like that. No, no. Peter's, he's concerned about the church family, the household of God. And the warning uh, is really for those within the walls, within the church family. And this week, we continue on that particular theme, looking at false teaching in particular for the claim that he's not coming back. Claim that there's no return of Jesus. Now, open up, or if you keep your Bibles open, to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Peter says this, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. Now, I love this. Sometimes you read the Bible and you're kind of, Think you get a bit lost. Uh, you know, who, who's even writing this? Like, how, does, how do we place this? Seems a bit distant, a bit abstract. Uh, I love this. Peter's really clear. Like, I wrote you a first letter. Now, here's my, you know, you can see that. Just flick over the page, one Peter. Uh, now, you can see here's my second letter, two Peter. Now, who is he writing to? He's writing to Christians scattered across the world. Um, same audience as the first letter, uh, and, which is really us. Uh, we're Christians scattered all the way in Australia. Uh, and he calls them his beloved love that word, beloved, my beloved. In the Greek, it's agapetos, which is this word that conjures us this sense of, of being sacrificially loved by God in this covenantal bond that won't break. This is a picture of the church, that we, if we follow Jesus, we trust in Him, if He's our Lord and Savior, then we are family. We are loved deeply with this agape, sacrificial love by God and called in the same vein to love each other. We're family. Let's keep reading verse 1. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Again, this is great, really helpful. This is clear. What's the purpose of this letter? It's a great question uh, to ask anything, anytime you're reading any document, but particularly you're reading a bit of the Bible. The Bible's not one book, it's 66 books written over uh, thousands of years uh, across three continents. Um, each letter, each book has a slightly different purpose. Uh, what is 2 Peter writing about? Uh, well, he says it clear that you should remember both the first and second letter. You should remember he's trying to stir up our, our sincere mind to remind us and, and be a reminder 
in the gospel, in the good news of Jesus. If you were here uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Zach, uh, he helpfully gave this illustration that I'm just going to recycle, uh, partly because I love American football and the Green Bay Packers in particular. But uh, this coach, Amer- uh, greatest football coach, uh, American football coach of all time, Vince Lombardi, whom the Super Bowl trophies named after, um, but he would start each season uh, saying, hey, team, you know, professional football players, hey, this is a football this is a football, like as if they didn't know. He's just going back to the basics. Uh, in the same way, we too, we need to be reminded of the basics. We do because we're so forgetful. So forgetful. We, need, we can never move beyond the gospel. The gospel, it's not just kind of the ABCs of Christianity that sort of, all right, they're for sort of baby Christians. And once we grow up, then we get to the real stuff. No, no. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. The A to Z is everything is all about the gospel. Now, just because it's clear, uh, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't mean that it's always you know, straightforward and that we can understand every bit of minutia in the Bible. And I love that Peter's honesty. We see that again. If you come towards the end of the letter in verse 15, he says that just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, and as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them in uh, these matters. There are some things of this in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Love this as well. You know, Peter, he's talking about the apostle Paul with great honesty. Um, he's backing his writing up. He's saying, hey, Paul is inspired. He's writing uh, the word of God. You know, Peter, he's an eyewitness. He was an eyewitness apostle. He's got authority to, to write uh, the word of God. And he's saying, hey, Paul does as well. But hey, let's be honest. Now, Paul's writings, sometimes they're a bit hard to understand. Have you read Paul's letters and been like, what's that on about? Been a bit confused? If that's been you, then you're in good company because Peter feels the same way. But we see in this chapter, and and from uh, these verses in particular, that the Bible, it's one big unified story. And it's all about Jesus. Uh, in, back in verse 2, um, Peter's talking about the prophets like in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the minor prophets. They're all pointing towards Jesus. It's unified uh, with this command, the command singular, which I take it is the great command to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. And the teaching of the apostles, um, uh, Peter talks about, it's all one unified story and we need to re- be reminded and remember of the gospel. Check out verse 3. With the Bible, God's story as the foundation, verse 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days. And what do scoffers do? With scoffing, um, following their own sinful desires. We think to say at the end of the letter, first of all, um, well, I take it this is a big thing that actually Peter wants to, to leave us with and remind us of that actually in the context of people trying to teach the true doctrine, the true teachings of Jesus, that actually there's going to be opposition. There's going to be false teaching that's going to refute and disagree with this. So Peter's day needs to hear this. We need to hear this as well. I'm going to say three things. Firstly, this is what we need to hear, that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is returning. Now check out verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So what's this day of the Lord? 
What's this day of the Lord about? Well, it's a theme that's throughout Scripture, throughout the whole Bible, where the Lord God would deliver day of judgment, but also salvation. Now, prophecy, prophets in the Bible, they're not always kind of predictive, telling the future. Uh, Sometimes it's often about calling out what's going on right now, speaking into the current context, calling people to repent. But here we do actually, uh, in the Bible, we see predictive prophecy talking about this day. Uh, In the prophet Joel, uh, written about 800 years before Jesus, uh, we see this. It'll be up on the screen. Blow a trumpet in Zion, that's Israel, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread, it is, there is spread among, upon the mountains a great and powerful people. Their like has been no before, nor will, again, uh, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations." This idea, the day of the Lord, this day of judgment, uh, it comes up again. The prophets Ezekiel, Amos, Zephaniah could keep on going. And often you see uh, this day of the Lord, there's this sense of it's going to happen really soon. It's 800 years before Jesus. How is it soon? Uh, well, um, check out Isaiah verse 13, 6. Again, you see this again. Well, for the day of the Lord is near. A destruction from the Almighty will come. This is maybe 700 years before Jesus. Well, what's going on? Well, for Israel... For the people of God in the Old Testament, uh, for Judah, the southern kingdom in particular, the day of the Lord, it really was near. There was a a big day coming. It's a day of judgment for them. People of God, they had rejected him as king. Uh, They had placed idols and really cheated on God. Really kind of, the Bible paints a picture. They're sleeping around uh, with foreign gods. Uh, If you were with us during uh, our rebuild series, uh, before our our big left and right series, uh, you might remember this, you know, the people of God, they they were rebuilding uh, ruins in their city, Jerusalem, because their temple, the walls had been destroyed. Um, This was off the back of a day of the Lord in the Old Testament, uh, where um, we see Babylon, they exile the people of of God. Uh, And, you know, know, these guys, they're meant to really be, um, they're meant to be, um, part of the original city of hill, on a hill. You know, they were meant to be, in Jerusalem, literally it was a city on a hill, they are meant to be uh, pointing people to the light, the hope, and the message of Jesus. But instead, they had failed. They had not cared for their community. They had failed to love God and love others as God had called them to, even doing horrendous things like child sacrifice. So God, in His anger, His settled anger, uh, he, he judges the people. Jerusalem, they get smashed. The people, they go off to, to, to Babylon for, for 70 years. Um, and remember, um, you know, that they quickly, after, after the rebuild project happens, uh, you know, they're there, things look like they're going well, but they quickly then turn again to their sin. They sleep with foreign women uh, who cause them, the men to worship other gods and they cheat on the Lord God again. Now, a little while later, the last book in the Old Testament, uh, both chronologically and in your Bible, uh, Malachi, um, or perhaps Malachi, maybe, if, if he was Italian. Um, I don't think he was Italian. Um, but Malachi uh, chapter 4, you know, God warns people again about the day of the Lord, and yet it's come. We've already seen uh, the day of the Lord happens, partially. God's people have been judged. But again, Malachi, he warns us, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming, uh, that 
that, that is that's coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so it will leave them neither root nor branch. The day of the Lord is coming, and this picture of fire, and we've seen, you know, we might well have it again this summer, bushfires that can be devastating, you know, destroying everything in their path. This day, it should make the people of God tremble and fear. It's going to be a day of destruction and devastation. But that's not all the day is. Uh, if you keep reading the very next verse in Malachi, here's the hope. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Again, time and time again, throughout the Old Testament, it's one big story of, yes, there is judgment for people that cheat on God, but also grace and hope, restoration. Again, we see that in Joel, judgment and hope. Uh, Joel 2.31, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Judgment. Again, the next verse, and it shall come to pass that everyone, not just some, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For those who fear God, those who call upon his name, there'll be healing and joy, and everyone who calls upon him will be safe. So this is the day of the Lord in the Old Testament. It's pointing towards something, uh, something in the future. What is it? It's partially been fulfilled. Well, Peter, uh, he talks about it again. Uh, back in 2 Peter 3.10, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It'll come quickly, like a thief in the night. Echoing the words of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 24, uh, in Paul, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5. What's going to happen? Well, Jesus will return. Jesus, who ascended uh, to the right hand of the Father, who's now ruling and reigning, sustaining all things, he will return with truth and grace, as we sing at Christmas. And it'll be glorious. And Jesus, at the center of this, uh, he will be in control. He will be ruling and judging with truth, but also grace. This is the picture of Jesus uh, that we see uh, as the judge uh, in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 uh, this is the Apostle John. He has a vision of the things to come. And he says this, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and by the name of which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword which, with, with which he will strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of his fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Friends, for those of us who don't trust in Jesus... Those of us who don't have him as our Lord and Savior now, and that's the Jesus that we need to deal with. That's the Jesus that we will encounter. And uh, as Peter says, our works, everything will be exposed. There's nowhere to hide. You know, you can convince uh, others that you're going all right. You can probably even convince yourself. But before our Lord Jesus, everything will be laid bare. 
It will be terrifying. And none of us will be able to stand in the presence of God. Apart from those who, as we've read, have trusted in the Lord. Now, how do we know this is true? Right? You know, maybe you're tempted to, to doubt, really? Like, will God really do this? Well, you know, you're not alone. If, if, you're, if I'm honest, uh, I, I get distracted. Um, I sort of, you know, sweep this fact under the rug. Is this, you know, judgment day? Is this really happening? Uh, there's going to be, you know, others as well that will kind of be like that. Uh, and, and Peter says, um, you know, you're not alone. If that's you, Peter says, people will say, verse 4, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. This promise that Jesus is coming back, really? You know, where is he? Things in Peter's day have been pretty much as normal, they said. This is only, you know, a generation or two after Jesus' ascension. Things look pretty normal, Peter's opponents say. And now, almost 2,000 years later, it's a lot of time have passed and Jesus hasn't come back. Like, really? He's going to come back and he's going to judge the world? Like, 2,000 years. Man, Peter challenges this view. How does he do it? Well, how do we know it's true? He says, go back to the Word of God. Look at the glory of the Word in verse 5. If you don't believe that Jesus is coming back to, to judge and to save, it's because you don't believe in this. Verse 5, uh, Peter says this, for they, the false teachers, deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. The Word of God creates. Genesis 1, chapter 3. God spoke. He said, let there be light. Boom. And there was light. Let there be everything. He did with words. Darkness, day, night, sun, sky. He, he says with words and things just happen. Through his word, the universe is spoken into existence. He made you. He made me. But also through his word, he destroys. Keep reading verse 6. And that by, uh, by means of these, by his word, the world that then existed was deluged with water and was perished. Through God's word, he, he caused uh, the flood, remember we looked at that last week, not a kid's story. Uh, it's really a tragedy, uh, a tragedy of humanity rebelling against God and being drowned to death, all because of the word and the will of God. This uh, really, back in Genesis 6, the flood, this was really the original uh, day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment in which the world was smashed and yet some graciously were saved, Noah, uh, his sons and their wives. The Word of God, it destroys, but it also sustains. Uh, verse 7, By the same Word, the heavens and earth that now exist are being stored up for fire, being kept until the day, what's the day of, of judgment and destruction for the ungodly. That same Word, it's holding the universe together. And we're going to look at this more in detail over the next coming weeks. We're going to do a deep dive into Colossians 1 and look at how Jesus is at the center of this. But the heavens and the earth are all under God's judgment, His righteous, settled anger, being only graciously kept alive until this day is coming where we'll see this destruction. Now, it's true because God said it. God spoke the word world into existence. God is sustaining all things by his word. God will come and judge the world through his word. Through his word, he caused his son Jesus to rise again. 
We believe that Jesus rose. We need to believe that he's coming back. And this is what it's going to look like. God will continue, as he always has, to keep his promises. Friends, Jesus is coming. The day of the Lord is near. But here's the second big thing. And I'll move a little quicker now. Jesus' patience means salvation. Jesus' patience means salvation. Friends, we need to understand the judgment. We need to understand the weight, the bad news, before we get to the good news. You know, one of the, the false teachings of our day, I think, is that it's a cheap gospel, right? That, that God is there to make your life more comfortable, uh, that God cares most about your own pursuits and, amb- and ambitions, and it's all about you. And when I, was, when I was a kid, I used to think that my life was kind of like the Truman Show. Who's seen the Truman Show? A bunch of people, a classic from the 90s with Jim Carrey. Um, go, go and see it. It's a great movie. But I used to think that my life, uh, you know, everyone was kind of watching. You know, that there were cameras on me, uh, that kind of I was the star of everything. And this is, you know, before social media. And, you know, now with social media, literally I can make uh, my life the Truman Show, right? I'd probably have four followers. I'd have, I'd have mum who's sitting in the front row. Thanks, mum. And I'd have like three Russian bots or something like that. You know, that would, that would, be, that would be my Truman Show. But friends, no, it's not all about you. The good news of Jesus is that we are all under his judgment, but we have been invited through Christ at a seat to his table. Humanity is doomed, but God is patiently waiting for people to turn to him. Have a look at verse 8 of 2 Peter 3. But do not overlook this fact, beloved. I sacrifice, my, my brothers and sisters, I, I love that with the day, the Lord, the one day, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord, God, he is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish and that all should reach repentance. Here we see God's heart, his character. Now, God doesn't go around smiting people for fun because he gets kicks kicks out of it. God doesn't want one soul to perish. Everyone is precious. Every one of you are precious to God, made uniquely. Everyone's got fingerprints. That's unique. How crazy is that? God loves you so much. He sent Jesus as the the man in in his image that there to, to give you hope, and to give you salvation uh, so that you can return to the family. And yet everyone has this default status. We're born into sin. God is angry. Uh, God's wrath, his fury, and God is just. He can't ignore sin. He can't just sweep it under the rug. That, that's God's nature. That, that's who he is. However, this wrath, this day of the Lord for humanity, there's two options. Either you know, the day of the Lord can be a punishing blow uh, for you, For humanity, they're outside of Jesus. Or this punishing blow, this cup of God's wrath, his anger, can be poured out on Jesus on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Great verse. Uh, Memorize it if you haven't yet. uh, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus had a perfect resume. Jesus had no blemishes on his record. If there was ever an unjust death, it was Jesus. And yet, what did Jesus do? He became sin. 
It's like he swallowed, he embodied sin on the cross, not just dying a physical death, a painful death. That's where we get the word excruciation from, out of the cross. Not just that, he also copped a spiritual beating, absorbing the wrath of God, this day of the Lord that God had been saving up, this anger. He absorbed that, Jesus did for us, so that if we trust in him, this day of the Lord, it can be poured out on Jesus rather than on us. Is it up to you? Are you going to rock up to God in heaven with your CV, with your resume, or are you going to trust in what Jesus has done? Some of us might be thinking, though, all right, well, this is a big deal. Like, why hasn't Jesus come back already, right? Like, you know, this is massive. Like, what's going on? You know, there was 400 years between the Old and New Testaments, between, you know, Malachi and Matthew, 400 years. Um, now there's 2,000 years nearly between Jesus' ascension and today. Like, why the delay? Well, we get a look at God's timing. He says there um, in verse 8 that with the Lord, the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. A couple thousand years. It's really only a couple of days in God's timing. We see his timing. You know, God who, who sits outside of time. God who is eternal. Like, what's a couple of days to him. And he's waiting, he's patiently waiting for people to repent, to turn away from themselves and back towards God their Father, to put their trust in Jesus instead of themselves. You know, each time someone does that, that's God's patience in action. There's rejoicing in heaven each time someone does that. We see that in Luke 15. But each time one person does that, that's part of God's plan. That's why he's waiting. A new member being added to the family. Like we, we praise God for baby Abel. Every time someone puts their trust in Jesus, God's family, it grows. The kingdom of God. And yet sadly, there's still 3 billion people in the world today who haven't even heard of Jesus. 2,000 languages that don't even have the Bible in their own tongue. Uh, my father-in-law, Sarah's dad, he's a missionary in Indonesia. And he often you know, quotes um, this, this missionary, Oswald Smith. Um, we talk of the second coming. Yet half the world has never heard of the first. You know, he says that you know, Christians, we, we in the West in particular, we kind of speculate over the return of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. We have arguments and debates. Not that they're unimportant, but, but yet at the same time, billions of people haven't even heard of the first coming of Jesus. God's patiently waiting for people to repent, but not in this passive way. In fact, he calls us not to be passive. But he commissions us to be part of his mission. That's what co-mission. He's co-opted you to be part of his mission. Some of us, though, we're more interested in speculation than commission. We're more interested in looking out there for signs and patterns and trying to kind of understand things and the theological minutia than we are about sharing Christ to a world that is going to under judgment, under the day of the Lord. You remember um, 2000, if you are right, if you are alive then, if you can remember, remember Y2K, you know, the day of the Lord, it's coming, um, the millennium bug, uh, it's going to destroy the world. 2012, another big year, this day of judgment. Um, but there's, there's countless, you, know, you can look at this countless and countless predictions. I mean, sadly, often by, by Christian preachers. Uh, one website I saw called Rapture Ready. Rapture ready that creates an algorithm, kind of like the ASX stock market or the Dow Jones, you know, it gives you a score. 
based upon you know, things like inflation and oil prices and what's going on in Ukraine and you know, kind of calculates this and gives you kind of a rapture-ready score, right? And kind of 100 to 130 means sort of moderate prophetic activity going on. 130 to 160, that's the next tier up. Um, that's heavy prophetic activity. And anything above 160, it says, and I quote, fasten your seatbelts. And it's been hovering in the 180s for the past five years. 187 is the current score I saw. Rapture ready. Well, maybe God will wait just another day. Maybe he'll wait one more day, which is like a thousand years. Maybe Jesus will return in, in 3022. Maybe. Who knows? Well, Jesus says even the Son in his humanity doesn't know. It's a waste of time trying to kind of overly speculate and interpret all these times because the day of the Lord, the thing we need to know is the day of the Lord will be a dreadful day for those who are not in Christ. But for those who do know Jesus, it will be a day of great hope. Jesus' patience, it means salvation. So what do we do with that? Well, thirdly, finally, now we wait. And we walk with Jesus. Now we wait and we walk with Jesus. God's not passive. We aren't to be passive. We, we do do things. We wait for Jesus' return. We walk with him spiritually now. Check out verse 11 back in 2 Peter 3. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because, which the hev- um, because of the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, all things are going to be dissolved. Uh, as the hymn uh, we sing, Amazing Grace, you know, the earth shall soon dissolve like snow and the sun for better shine. All your achievements, all your assets, you know, your, your renovation project that, that inevitably got delayed months, you, know, you can't take that with you. Your possessions, your superannuations, your career promotion, your hot new girlfriend, like, you know, like you, these things, right? You can't take that with you. Like your girlfriend, if she trusts in Jesus, she'll be there, but you won't be married. These things, they, they, these achievements, right? They'll be destroyed. The good news, though, this will dissolve. Jesus, he's making something better. Jesus is making something more glorious than we can ever imagine. The people of every time period, every culture will be there, gathered around the throne. And I think sometimes we, you know, we forget what Jesus is doing right now. Uh, like even if we are you know, aware that he's coming again, that, that he, he ascended, like what's Jesus doing right now? He's doing so much right now. Uh, this is, you know, theological, if you want a theological term, this is called the session of Christ. What's he doing right now? He's, he's interceding for us. He's advocating for us. He's praying for us. He's preparing a place for you at his father's house. How good is that? God's patiently waiting for us. But, you know, we're not good at waiting, are we? I'm not good at waiting. In fact, so often I think I'm like Homer Simpson in, uh, in this episode of, of Simpsons from season four. I think I'll pop it up on the screen, the short video. Play the waiting game. Let's play the waiting game, he says. You know, the waiting game sucks. Let's play Hungry Hungry Hippos. <laughs> That's what I'm so often like. You know, the waiting game sucks. Let's play Hungry Hungry Hippos. You know, we have moments, right? 
We're pumped up. We're like, yes, okay, Jesus is coming. All right, all right, I'm going to spur into action. We have this sense of urgency, and yet we just go back to life. Uh, and we drift, and we kind of get easily distracted by the next thing. Francis Chan, he says this, that our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding in things that don't really matter. Succeeding in things that don't really matter. What are you successful in that doesn't really matter? Now, I'm not like a massive gamer, uh, but I remember once as a young adult, I, I got into this game It's called Dope Wars. And uh, I don't know if anyone played Dope Wars. And uh, it was kind of like a, um, a, you know, a speculation trading game, you know, a stock market game of you know, arbitrage, you know, a silly game, right? You buy and sell kind of you know, these drugs, right? Buy low, sell high. Um, and if you didn't pay, pay back the loan shark, you'd kind of get beaten up and, and you'd die, you know. And, but I got hooked on it, right? Like not the drugs, though, the game. And... And, um, you know, and I, and I figured out like a few hacks of, you know, where to kind of buy and what prices and all that kind of stuff. And one day I got a global high score, a global, thousands of people playing and I got a global high score of Dope Wars. Mike Jontek, future pastor and Dope Wars aficionado, high score of, of this is you know, well before I was pastor. But, but hey, what's your Dope Wars achievement, right? What's your thing that at the end of the day doesn't really matter? You know, what's your game of hungry, hungry hippos that's distracting you from the things of God? Church, we need to be keep, keep reminding each other of the truths of the gospel. You know, the song that, that I love, one of the hymns I love singing, Come Thou Fount, so real, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's our, our hearts, yeah? I love the prayers um, that a man who meets Jesus um, uh, he says, um, you know, his boy, he's mute, he can't speak, he's demon possessed. And this man, he comes up to Jesus and he says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Isn't that so true of our Christian experience? Yeah, I, I believe. And yet, when faced with the reality of the situation, we're wondering, help me in my unbelief. You know, intellectually, we believe, yeah, okay, Jesus is coming back, but I don't really believe that it could be today. No, no, I've got stuff on my to-do list, my bucket list. I'm not ready for this. I need to achieve my, my life goals. I need to pay off the house. I need to have kids. Whatever it is that's on your list, we're not ready. God's calling you to be ready, but also to wait. God's waiting for humanity to, re- to repent, but he's not being passive. He's sustaining the world, calling us into his mission. And the same way, we should be active, not because... Being active and urgent, it kind of makes us more right with God. No, no, Jesus has paid it all, make that clear. But in response to what God has done, Peter calls us to live lives in holiness and godliness. What if you knew that in three years' time, Jesus was coming back? What if you knew that somehow? You know, it's a heretical hypothetical. Okay, I'll grant me that. But bear with me. You know, it's a thought experiment. If you knew that he really was coming back in three years, they're not three days, so three days is kind of hectic, but three years, right? You've got a little bit of time. How would that shape your life? Having more clarity over the eternal realities of heaven and hell that they're near? How would that sharpen how you view your workplace? How would that sharpen your prayer life? The way you viewed your finances? How would you view your gospel community? I mean, we're to be a band of brothers and sisters that are on life, love, and mission to our local communities. Wouldn't that just sharpen that just even a little bit? 
uh, that we are really on mission to our suburb, the day of the Lord is coming. Jesus, he had three years of active ministry. How did he use his three years? Now, absolutely, there was an urgency. The first words recorded about him in the Gospel of Mark are this, that you know, the time is at hand, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus, he preached to thousands. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He dined with the outcast. He welcomed outsiders. But also, he took breaks. He stopped. He rested. He prayed. He waited on God. He paused to commune with his Father. He waited and he walked. You know, we're not good at, at stopping as a culture, are we? Pausing to pray and meditate on the Word of God, you know, reflecting and reading a good Christian book, singing songs at home to praise Him. Now, these things, they don't feel that productive sometimes. Now, there's more stuff on our to-do list where you kind of push out um, the important to deal with the urgent. And friends, finally, as I invite the band up, let me look at the last couple of verses in 2 Peter 3. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in the grace. Or as Zach said a couple of weeks ago, be furnishing your faith, basking in this reality of God's grace, his gift, his kindness to us. And we've got this unmerited present that God has lavished on us. Church, we need to be people that take stock of the grace that God has given us. Let's be people that remind each other of exactly what the Lord has done for you. Why don't I encourage you, like do something specific. Before you leave the foyer today, Tell one person something that God has done for you. Can you do that? One person, could be, could be the person you came with. One person that, that what God has done for you, the things you're thankful for. Now, God loves us, right? Like, in spite of all the times we've stuffed up, fallen short of His glory, the times when we get it wrong, God has given us everything. In a world that is so unstable, and the last few years have, have definitely reinforced that. Coronavirus, cryptocurrency, cash rates going up and down, culture wars. It's all up in the air. Everything is unstable. But what is it? The Word of God, Jesus. He doesn't fluctuate. He's not going to run out of His grace. It's His endless bounty, His endless fountain that we can keep drinking from, the sweet waters of life that will sustain us both now and forever. Let's be looking to Jesus and basking in His grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do praise you and thank you for your grace. We thank you for your kindness that you've lavished upon us. And may we be people that grow in the grace and knowledge of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Lord, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Help us to take seriously your word, your warning. There's one of judgment and of joy, of truth and of grace. May we be people that are patient, that are good at waiting, having an eternal perspective and clinging less to the things of this world, but seeing people as you see them. May we have an urgency of mission to take your saving gospel to Brisbane and beyond. 
And would we see many lives transformed by the life-giving news of Jesus? And we pray all this in Jesus' name. All of God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.